This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Thursday, November 14th, 2019. My guest is Hayato Huseman. Did I say that correctly? Uh, yeah, pretty close. All right. Well, Hayato is with Android Central. You're the video director, correct? Yeah, we don't really have official titles necessarily, but I, I guess that's basically my role. I, I, at least in North America, I'm basically the, um, the only video guy. So The resident video guru. So the reason I have you on today is not only because you're awesome, everybody knows that who's ever met you, <laughs> but it's because you and I were both at the Moto event uh, and we were able to see and play with the phone. And obviously that's the big news, the new Razer phone this week. So I want to talk to you about that a little bit. And then of course, on top of that, Apple dropped a new MacBook Pro 16 inch. And I know we're both Mac users, so I'm sure we have a lot of feelings about that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So let's get started on the Razer. What is your like initial thoughts? Like you, you got there, you know, of course you're doing your job, but at the same time, you've got some thoughts, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much we want to jump into it right away, but I, um, I, I went into the event not really expecting to love the phone. I, I figured I would like the hardware, but the rest of it, you know, would be like kind of whatever. Um, I kind of left really in love with the Razer, and I, I really want one. The camera from from our testing at the event, it didn't seem great. There, there were a lot of little things about it, but. Overall, I'm, I'm very excited about this phone, and I think maybe I'm, I'm the most excited I've been for a phone in, in a while after this event. And you know, I feel the same, and I think everyone I talked to that was at the event, kind of, I, don't, I don't remember anyone specifically saying to me, you know what, this, this is boring, I don't care. You know, right. Even, you know, those people who are just doing it for like shock value, you know, there are, you know some of the folks we know, they would be like, whatever, who cares? Um, even like, you know, I don't know, like, Sasha Signer, PC Mag, not that I'm saying that he normally is a stickler, but I'm just saying that, you know, he's a hard guy to convince about a product because like me, he's been doing this for a long time. He was impressed, right? So yeah, I saw him tweeting that he was actually like very, very uh, positive about the phone. Yeah, I think for me, what really did it was I was sitting next to Michael Fisher, Mr. Mobile, um, and we kept looking at each other going, did you just see what they just said? Did you hear what they just said? Did you see this slide that they just put up? This is cool. Like, like we were kind of like, wow. Um, I think for me, the big thing was, I mean, we, we'll talk about the specs because you touched on the camera. For me, there's, there's the battery size and the processor as well. This oh, is, yeah. let's, let's just put it here up front for the whole audience. If you're thinking that we're going to bash the specs, we probably will, but this is not what this show is about. I want to talk about design. I want to talk about the hinge. I want to talk about what this brings to the table, to the folding phone universe. Specs are deficient in some ways, but this is not what this phone is about, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they, they said that themselves. They kept on... We, we went out to a dinner with them uh, shortly after the event, and they, they were pretty candid. You know, They just wanted our honest opinions... Um, and we all kind of said that, you know, we're, we're like, well, these are pretty weak, like mid range specs for a very expensive phone. And there, there's, there's a lot of small things and they were, they said the same thing you just said, you know, like we're basically, you know, we're, we're doing this for the design. We're doing this for the, um, for the functionality more than, you know, being like a flagship to your phone. And I think at least for the time being, that's probably the right move. 
And and I can imagine that some of the folks listening, some of my audience right now, are going, "Well, Miriam, you're much, you're, you're way above that. You you want to look at the whole package. You don't, you're not going to just get get wild by a nice design and a flashy design and and looks and feel. You're going to be interested in how it performs, how it works. And I am, and that's actually why I'm interested. Is because look, folding phones are in their infancy right now, and the Galaxy Fold has stumbled and fallen. Um, you know. People could argue that, well, it did ship and it's available, but, you know, I've had a few people that I know that, at least in the journalism world, the media people, YouTubers, etc., who have had their phone for just three days and did eventually start seeing some noticeably, like some small defects on the screen from fingernails or whatever else. So it's definitely a fragile device. And obviously, you know, Samsung knows this because they have like a... Uh, a whole plan for you to get your screen replaced and stuff. And we've all collectively, and, and again, to be clear, I don't have a Fold, but I know from all the people who have one and have played with one in the media world that we're all unanimous as journalists, as bloggers, as YouTube creators, right, Hayato, that this is not a, this is a fragile device. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even the, when, when you open the box for the Galaxy Fold, it comes with a big like sheet of plastic on top of the phone that just says, hey, don't put too much pressure on the screen. Don't press your nails against the screen. Don't let it touch, you know, water, sand, dust. Don't do any of these things. And that's, it, it feels, for as great as the Galaxy Fold is and as, as um, well put together as the hardware is, it feels really mediocre. Um, yeah, For you to exactly. get this, like, incredibly cautious warning of this delicate phone that you're spending $2,000 on. It's, it's not really the experience that I would want to get if I, were, if I were the one buying the phone. Totally. Um, as an aside, I just want to say that uh, Hayato is recording this in a coffee shop. There might be some background noise. This is the best we could come up with. Yeah, so hang tight. Um, no, I think it's not bad at all right now. But if you, it does get loud, you know why it's why it's happening as as you're listening to the show. Um, so to me, what this is where the razor, the motor razor, kind of stands out and really shines, right? It seems to solve a lot of the problems that the Galaxy Fold has as a folding phone, and it does solve them in a very technically savvy, very, very engineering-driven, very high-tech way. You know, I'm an engineer turned journalist, and I looked at this thing, and I was like, wow, they've made some really smart decisions here. Now, you know, we haven't played with the phone and owned it for six months. This might all fall apart, but the gut feeling I have and the gut feeling that I think everyone had on the, at this event was that it's going to be a durable device that you can handle like you handle a normal phone. They've made a number of, you know, design decisions that contribute to that, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think it, it's it's such a different situation than the Galaxy Fold because obviously the Fold is is kind of going for, you know, big phone turned tablet, right? I mean, it's Right. You get a tiny, tiny screen with it uh, fully closed, but it's still like a like a large size phone as far as the physical dimensions. Um, and you, you unfold it, you get this giant tablet, and the, the Razer isn't trying to do that. It's trying to give you what I guess by 2019, 2020 standards is considered a normal size phone with a six inch screen. Uh, it's giving you that, which can then uh, fold into a smaller size that fits in your pocket. So it's they're very different approaches to the foldable design, but I think... Motorola really nailed some of the fundamentals as far as hardware goes by giving it a, they called it a zero gap hinge. I've seen a lot of people say it, it still has a, a bit of a gap. The phone doesn't perfectly close shut. Um, I mean, it's close enough, right? Yeah, it, I had no problems with it when I was holding the phone. Um, yeah. 
But ha- like, have you totally seen? Not. Have you seen when Michael showed it off, Mr. Mobile, in, in his video? He showed it off really well um, with the way that the screen actually uh, contorts under the glass. You can actually, when you're closing the yeah. thing, you can like watch a bit of the display uh, sort of move under the glass or under the under the plastic. Yeah, there's a number of things they did in this hinge design that's really different than anything we've seen before for folding phone. With only we only have really two points of reference, which is you know Huawei's Falcon Wing hinge, and then we have the Galaxy Fold. Now we know the fold doesn't close perfectly flat. There's a gap. This closes pretty much close to perfectly. Yeah, it's it's, it's but much the way they did it is interesting because it creates like a teardrop shape in the fold area. So the the displays, uh, you know kind of fold radius is pretty high, meaning that it doesn't get pinched. And it kind of like fits into this space. And then because it can't really fit fully in space when closed, as you said, the the display itself slides into the chin because, you know, we didn't mention this, but I'm sure by now those of you are listening, I know that my audience is pretty tech savvy. You've seen photos of this phone. It has the iconic razor chin of back in the day. So it slides into the chin. It's very subtle. It only moves like a millimeter or two into the chin. But I think all this contributes to what happens is when you open the phone, the displays actually stretch tight over the the structure that it's on. And on top of that, where the hinge is, where it collapses into this teardrop shape, are these little supports that slide in underneath. You don't really see that, but they showed us an animation during the briefing that shows how that works. And the end result is that you can tap anywhere on the screen and there's none of that give you get with the fold. And it's really hard and solid and you don't have to worry about damaging the display, right? Yeah, it it feels very sturdy. It's, It's almost a shame that people like, you won't know that that is how the display is able to fold. Like you won't see under the plastic, obviously, to, to be able to watch the actual display tech uh, sort of moving around, uh, unless you see that graphic that they showed us. And I think that graphic is so so neat, and it just shows how mature the design is. And I think more people should see that. But of course, you, you pick up the phone; that's that's not going to be like physically evident. It'd be interesting if they made like a mock-up of the phone that instead of having a display that showed anything that was black, it was just a transparent sheet of plastic, you know? Yeah. So you could actually see how it folds in and how it works because it's really, really clever. And and I think the other thing that's really clever, and I'm not sure this is true, but I trust Sasha again. Sasha Segan at PC Mag said to me that apparently the design is such that the hinge, when it opens, when the, you open the phone, has a mechanism that basically brushes dust out oh, from really? underneath the display outward. So anything that's trapped in there should be kind of like brushed out and in, in away from the display so it doesn't get stuck underneath. That's fascinating. Yeah. I, I think one of the other things that makes the Razer so interesting compared to some of the, I guess, the, the two other foldable phones we've seen um, the razor is actually water resistant, and I don't know to what degree. I don't think it has an IP rating. Well, it's they said splash resistant, which I think is more like rain and you know accidental like drops. But I think uh, it's but all it, it is impressive. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me that even when we pressed as media, we ask hard questions like you know how many uh, close and open cycle have you measured on this? Like how have you tested it? They said they tested it extensively, but they wouldn't give us any numbers. And they basically kind of came out guns blazing saying, we're very confident nobody's going to have any issues with this phone. You know what though? I actually, I love that. For somebody to do that after the fold, 
That takes some serious balls, and I believe them. I know that Moto has the know-how to do this. It's also a much smaller design of a hinge and of a folding display than the Fold, of course. So, you know, it, it's a tiny little closed-up flip phone that turns into a full-size normal Android phone, basically. So, yeah, I think this is what blows my mind the most about it. And the other thing, Hayaru, and I'd love to hear your feedback on this, is the tactility of the whole experience. Like, we all know what a flip phone feels like, at least for those of you who had one or at least have touched one once in your life. It's a very satisfying experience to open and close that thing, especially hanging up, right, when you close the lid. Oh, yeah. And while the new Razer is not quite as snappy as the original... Uh, because you, you have to be a little more careful with that display to not bend it too fast, I guess. It is still has spring-loading, and it feels like you're opening and closing a flip phone. And it's it's hard to explain. I think part of the experience on this phone is touching it, feeling it, handling it, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, you look at it, and it looks neat. It's visually interesting and, and, and whatever, but that's not going to get people into the stores necessarily. Um, or at least it's not going to get people to buy them. But once you get it in your hand, it really does... Uh, flipping it open, because I, I I, mean, you saw mine. I brought the uh, Razer V3 from 15 Yeah, you years brought the ago. original, yeah. Yeah. And uh, holding them side by side and, and just kind of flipping them around. Flipping the new Razer open feels almost exactly like the old one. Flipping it shut is much softer, I would assume, because they're trying to... Uh, you know, sort of protect this this full display kind of thing. Um, yeah. So it's a much softer closing action, and and it's it's not quite as satisfying, but it's still so much better than you know. You get off a phone call, you're you're angry, you want to like you know get that out, and on a on a normal phone, you have to just kind of like you know look at the screen, search for the red button, tap that. It's not satisfying. Yeah. This one, you still like you get that tactility. Indeed. And the other thing to keep in mind for those of you who are wondering, this is exactly the same thickness and height as the original Razer. It the is, width yeah. is wider. So it's it's about two-thirds of the width of a modern flagship. So take like a Galaxy S10 Plus or a Pixel 4 XL or an iPhone 11 or, um, you know, basically a large 6.4-inch screen today. Um, that's roughly the size of the phone opened up, but two thirds as wide. Yeah. So it's, it's, or three quarters as wide. Um, in fact, I don't know if you were there for that one, Hayato, but I brought the Xperia 5 from Sony that we discussed on last week's show. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, that's a 21 by nine aspect ratio, like the Razer. And in fact, the Xperia 5 side by side with the Razer, if, if the Razer's open is exactly the same. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So the Razer 6.2 inch and it's, it's, you know, 21 by nine aspect ratio, but the uh, Xperia 5 is 6.1 inch at 21 by nine. So they're very, very close. That's awesome. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I think with that in mind, a lot of people still kind of think, why do I need a normal size phone? If, if it's the same size as, as something like an Xperia 5, why do I need a normal size phone that then folds to be smaller, but then... You know, a lot of people have different size pockets where they put phones and I know. things that are not pockets. You know, maybe you put it in your in your like little car, uh, you know, like your your center console in your car or something. Um, it I mean, I think it, for a lot of people, you know, if you look at how people used to put their phone in their pockets, like smaller pockets, it's impossible to put a modern phone in a small pocket. Absolutely. And then you know, there is like uh, purses, and I mean, all these other things. And there's something to be said about your display always being protected, basically, when the phone is shut. Um, 
And then, you know, in terms of build quality, this hinge feels unbreakable. The whole phone is basically made of three materials, stainless steel for the hinge and the chassis and the frame and the structure, uh, glass in the front. So if you, if you close the phone, the front flap is, is covered in glass and the back flap is covered in this plastic resin. They call it resin. It's probably some sort of, uh, polycarbonate and, and it's basically, uh, wraps into the chin so the chin is the same material as the back piece um and you know it, and it's actually kind of cool because when you hold it if you're typing on the keyboard like when it's open you're typing on the qwerty keyboard on the display the chin gives you a place to kind of hold on to the phone in this really nice ergonomic way and it doesn't it, you don't feel like it's going to slip out of your hands and the balance the weight distribution is really well thought out as well have you noticed that yeah, I, I was actually kind of worried about um, sort of the weight and the hinge, or the not the hinge, but the the, the chin. Um, I kind of thought by the looks of it, it seemed like it'd be kind of awkward, but uh, but uh, it, it's actually not bad at all. Yeah, no, I think they did a really good job at all the ergonomics and the design, and you and they spent a lot of time talking about that. Um, and then you know, in terms of materials, as I said, it's a little weird that it's plastic in the back. It does feel a little cheap to me for a phone that price. But and we'll get to the pricing at, at some point. But I think that uh, you know they had to make some design decisions. There, this is a fourteen millimeter phone, and when it's closed, it means it's just slightly thicker than a normal phone. Well, maybe not quite. There's a lot of phones that are eight millimeters nine millimeters right now so you know you're adding five millimeters six millimeters to that it's not quite double so it's pretty damn thin those two halves when it's open are pretty damn thin and they packed a battery in each part of the clamshell the top and bottom part that add up to 2510 milliamp hour and we'll talk about that they 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 have so much sandwiched technology in there, and the hinge obviously takes up some space. You still need the motherboard with all the chips on it. You need a speaker, a vibration motor. You need a USB-C port. You need a fingerprint reader. You need a camera. In fact, there's two cameras. So they they had to pack a lot technologically. This is a pretty impressive, in terms of packaging, to me. You know, yeah. and it's it's probably worth noting that they they finalized the design. I think they said over 18 months ago. So it's, it's, um, that I, I think that kind of makes it even more impressive that it's, it's over a year and a half old and they still manage I mean, to they tested the crap out of it for that year and a half, which oh, is exactly what, where we're, what we're at. And that's also why the specs are kind of mad. And, and, you know, we, and we'll talk about the specs at some point, but I just feel like people need to understand that. In the path to folding phone, this is a major step forward. This is potentially the first folding phone we're going to see that that hits the spot, like that survives a normal lifestyle. And, you know, that's what we need because inevitably folding phones are a thing. There is always going to be candy bar, normal phones that don't fold out there. I'm pretty sure of that. But I think there's going to be an entire category of the market that's going to go folding. And somebody's going to make that happen and work. And who's better than Moto? I mean... Uh, some, I mean, it could be anyone, but I think Moto is in a good place because of this experience they have uh, designing very, very high quality products over the years. And so that's kind of what, you know, blew me away the most about it. So the way the hinge works, the design, the feel, the the look of it. Um, and so do you want to talk about the, the front display a little bit? It's very interesting how they position that thing, right? It is, yeah. I mean, it's... I think it's it's um, very similar to a smartwatch where you can't type on it. It's not it's not like the Galaxy Fold where even with that tiny front display you can just type on this super small little keyboard and it, it like it kind of works but not really. Um, I feel like they made better like 
they acknowledged that there's not a whole lot you can do with a much smaller screen like that. So you don't type on it. It's it's more of um, almost like like a dedicated screen for motor display where you get notifications in, you can control music playback, uh, and you get like little quick responses that you can tap to send. Um, but then you can also use it as a viewfinder for the camera, which is kind of neat. I mean, it gives you like a it gives you a little visual cue to smile if you have that setting turned on, or otherwise you can just have the entire view of the camera turned on. And it's, yeah, yeah. it's just like a, it's a really cool use for uh, a, like a, a cramped space that doesn't feel like it would be very useful. It's interesting that you bring that up because I've reviewed a lot of the Moto phones for Geekspin. And, you know, when you, they're in, the, in that sleep mode or whatever, that always on display mode where they're sitting on your table and they're just showing the time. Um, and, and when a notification comes in, they, they wake up and show you the notification. It's exactly what they've replicated here in the front. Yeah. And, and, and it can be used as a viewfinder for the, for the main camera, which is right. So right below the front display is the main camera. You can use it to take selfies. So you can take selfies with the good camera, basically, not the crappy little camera that's inside. That's more for video calls. Uh, and so, um, that display is a viewfinder. It's a notification area. You can do quick replies. You can, you know, sort through notifications. You can tap on one. And as soon as you open the flip, it brings you to that app, that kind of stuff. And I didn't get a chance to play too much with the software, but I really appreciate that Moto spent some time working on that user experience. And you can tell they really dog fed that experience. You know what I'm saying? They tried it internally and they really tested it with real users, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it really just, it feels very well thought out. Like they've definitely, at least from the, you know, from the short time that we got to spend with it, it, it feels like they've kind of thought of everything that you would use the, that you'd use that screen for. There's nothing that you don't need. Um, and people have been asking about how things like Instagram would work with the front screen. You're not going to use Instagram on that front no, screen. No, you're not going to use it. It's just no. going to be a notification from Instagram and you're going to tap on it to reply and whatever, right. you know? And then you open the phone. Basically. But I think that's exactly what you need, right? Because it's... It's not like the Galaxy Fold where I think with the Fold, it's, it's super neat, right? You, you get this tablet that just fits in your pocket very easily. That's, that's awesome. But I found that that form factor doesn't really work for me. It's, um, it, it's, it's too small and frustrating to use when it's shut. But then when you open it, it's, it's way too big for one hand. And it's, it's right. just a very clumsy interface. With this phone, with the Razer, you unfold it and it because it just feels like any other phone, it feels very natural to use. You're not, you're not compromising from a phone that's like too small to suddenly a phone that's too big. You're getting exactly the right kind of uh, shape and form factor. Exactly. And you're actually, using, you're actually getting a completely normal Android experience. You don't have to worry about apps not running properly. Other than it being 21 to 9 aspect ratio, basically. And, and you know, that's been done before, like the Xperia phones. So, I mean, basically, it's, it's just, yeah, it's just a phone. At yeah. that point, which is what makes it so amazing. And, you know, we were talking about how you know, the display is so, um, you know, flush and tight when it's open. I, I noticed that most phones, when they were fully open, had very little of that crease you see on the fold. I mean, it was there, but it wasn't nearly as obvious to me. And I think it's what they, that design where they kind of stretch the screen when the hinge opens to be, you know, kind of fully taut. Uh, I think it's interesting. Yeah, it's it feels very sturdy, and it definitely. I I mentioned that in my video too. Like, there's there's almost no visible crease. It is there, but it's so subtle compared to like the Galaxy Fold. If you look at it dead on, like perfectly straight, 
you don't see a crease, but at any slight off angle, it's it's so yeah. apparently there. It's just in yeah, your face. Absolutely. And that's, that's not the case with the razor, which I think is great. Yeah, in my video, I actually held the phone and kind of in the light and back and forth. And at least on that one phone, in that one situation, you really couldn't see it. Yeah. <laughs> so it was interesting. Um, and uh, so we talked about the cameras. You actually started by saying, you know, the camera is very ho-hum. And that's what I wrote in my story as well, my geek spin hands-on. Um, Look, the reality is this is maybe we can switch to talking about the specs because I mean it's a 16 megapixel, which as if you if you follow phones like we do, like you know us media people do, and and perhaps yourselves as listeners because I know you're tech savvy folk listening to the show, um, you know that 16 immediately like raises a lot of questions. 16 megapixel is not a commonly found resolution in a modern phone of 2019, in the sense that it's usually 12. And as soon as you see 13 or 16, you know there are older sensors with small pixel sizes. Yeah. Uh, of course, modern phone is either 12 or 48 or 64 or 108 now, basically. And those are, you know, those are sensors that bin four pixels into one so that they're kind of cheating in a way, but cheating in a very intelligent way. So a 16 is really like, uh, and sure enough, this is the same sensor. I can't remember what the IMX model number is from Sony, but it's the same sensor that was in the um, OnePlus 6 and OnePlus 6T. Is it the 586? Uh, 586 is the super nice 48 megapixel one. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, this is something else. But the point is, it's the same sensor as uh, OnePlus 6 and OnePlus 6T. And I rewind about a year to the OnePlus 6T, and you'll know that, you know, while OnePlus did a good job with the software on that camera, uh, it was not the best camera experience and camera performance. Now, it's coupled with an f1.7 lens, which is pretty good, just pretty fast, um, but it doesn't have OIS. So... It feels very 2017, 2018, which if, as you said, 18 months of development uh, time is uh, pretty much probably what it is, right? Yeah, I mean, I I think they even told us at that dinner I mentioned earlier that um, I think they mentioned it doesn't even have EIS, which seems very strange. No, it does have it does electronic stabilization. Okay, good, good. I heard that somewhere else. It doesn't have OIS, but it has electronic stabilization. But you know, I mean, again, this is depending on the ISP, and we're going to talk right. about the chip in a second. It's not the newest chip either. So, so that's the thing about the camera: no multiple camera sensors. There's a flash. There is no OIS. There's an f1.7 lens with a 60 megapixel sensor. The good news is you can use that for selfies, so it'll look better than usual kind of crappy selfie camera, although most phones now have decent selfie cameras. But there's also a 5 megapixel f over 2.0 camera when the phone is open inside a tiny little notch at the top of the main display, which is also where the earpiece lives. So that's more for video conferencing, like if you're doing a Skype call or like, you know, whatever it is you might be doing, pick your poison as to your favorite messaging app. Um, So that's interesting. I actually thought they wouldn't have anything on the inside, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the phone's been leaked like crazy over the last few weeks, I, I think even months. Um, I think the that notch has been in every leak, so we kind of knew to expect it. So I kind of figured there would well, be a it's camera. It's tiny, too. It's not really a big deal. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, I don't know, maybe I spent too much time with phones that have notches, but I, I didn't notice at all. Like, it, it didn't bother me. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I think it's very much just, if you want to take like a higher quality selfie, you should just close the phone and use it that way, but... You know, if you're just video conferencing with maybe Duo, Skype, whatever else, it's it's perfectly serviceable. 
Yeah, totally. Um, then in terms of battery, I said it's two cells that are one in each half of the clamshell of the phone, each half of the phone. And together they have 25, 10 milliamp hour, which is on the low side. But Very low of side. course that all depends on the processor and the screen time. If you use the external screen more than the internal screen, then you might get a little more mileage out of it. But, you know, again, um, yeah, that's the problem. Especially because, and I'm finally gonna get to this, the Snapdragon 710 is the processor. Now, it's not a bad processor by any means. This is basically the the detuned, the the, the slightly, slightly lower end version of a Snapdragon 845. So basically, they took an 845, they crippled it a little bit, they made it into 710. In the same way as they took the 855 and crippled it a little bit and made it into the 730. And that's that's kind of what I would have expected the Razer to ship with, a 730, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, just like the original Razer from way back when, uh, this this phone is not meant to be, you know, your next replacement for your for your digital camera or, or you know, it's not supposed to beat the iPhone or the, or the Galaxy or whatever else when it comes to photography. Uh, but it's going to take perfectly serviceable photos, I think, if you're just looking for, you know, I need yeah. to post to social media or whatever else. In terms of performance, honestly, the 710 is just fine. It's just that it's not Absolutely. as power efficient as the 730. So now you're thinking to yourself, well, if the battery is this small, maybe this will be an issue. And that's kind of, again, 18 months ago was when they locked in those specs. So at the time, it made sense that they picked the 710. It's a little less powering than the 845, which existed at the time. And and of course, the 730 is more, more efficient than the 855, although that's arguable. But anyway, it wasn't going to be an 8-series processor. And I don't think you should worry about that it has six gigs of ram it has 120 gigs of storage all those numbers are perfectly fine for the kind of phone that it is and i don't think you're going to worry about it but it also means you don't get the latest and the greatest from qualcomm in terms of like image processing algorithms to enhance that kind of mass spec camera etc right absolutely I think the reason, Hayato, that people are a little worried about the specs is because they're looking at it as a $1,500 phone, right? Which is what it is. The cost, the price, the retail price unlocked or whatever, like non-subsidized is $1,500. At $1,500, it is pretty pricey, but uh, just like with the Galaxy Fold being about $2,000, that's a really outlandish price for any smartphone. But when, when when it's essentially a beta testing uh, for the public, you don't really expect it to be, you don't expect the first of anything to be the best, right? It's it's not going to be the end-all, be-all. It's not going to have, like, top-tier specs and, and do everything you could ask for. And with a normal phone, that seems kind of outrageous for 1500 bucks. but with a foldable phone, there's so much more to it than just, you know, does it take good pictures or does it whatever. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, to me, it's it's not really the first folding phone because the Galaxy Fold was there. But I mean, obviously, it's very flawed. And the Mate X was announced. I played with it. I touched it. I think I like their design. It's pretty good, too. But I feel like it's this is the first, like I said in my story, the first folding flip phone. Yeah. It's the and first there's going to be way show. more of those. I mean, yeah, Samsung announced at their developer conference like a week ago or whenever it was that they're working on a, you know, f- basically a a folding flip phone and and so it's going to be a thing it's going to be a, a form factor and and as i said earlier i think that the fact that moto seems to have nailed the the reliability aspect of this at least as far as we can tell from initial impressions um 
that means that the folding thing is going to take off. Um, so, and you know, whether it starts with a smaller phone or a bigger phone doesn't matter. The, the point is that you know we need to be able to prove that this is a val like a valid technology, and maybe people will hate it and not buy it. But I think fifteen hundred dollars is a good reflection as to the complexity of the product, and I really don't feel it's too much when you consider. You know, it's easy to spend what fourteen hundred, fourteen hundred fifty, whatever it is, on the top spec iPhone eleven Pro Max. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, so look, okay, like, but yeah, you're gonna say, well, but but the specs, but but you have to understand, like, you're getting there's a number of things you're getting here. You're getting a really unique piece of hardware. You're also getting a phone that's iconic has an iconic brand and has an iconic nostalgia factor to it. And so some of you, I can totally understand. You don't care about nostalgia. You never used a razor. You never lived with one. You don't care. But I can tell you, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are going to totally dig this phone because it is like reminding them of it being a razor that they had before. And they're going to willing, be willing to pay for that just to be you know, the first ones to have it, the only ones to have it, or just because they're sick and tired of things bulking in their pockets and they want to put something small in their pockets. And, you know, the average person doesn't care about specs. So as long as the end result of the photos and the experience is okay, they'll be fine. And, you know, right now it's running Android 9, but Moto said that they're already working on Android 10 for it, that a lot of these customization of the front display did require a little bit of uh, fiddling. They actually work with Google on that stuff. So I think we, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Android 10 coming too soon, right? Yeah, they, they, they told us at the event that they're expecting it to launch very shortly after the phone releases in January. I mean, given, given Motorola's track record, I don't really know um, how much I believe that. I guess we'll, we'll wait and see. Well, but. they don't have the best, but it's not the worst either, right? Like, it's kind of like... Ah, it's a lot like HMD Global Nokia, where they originally were all gung-ho and said, oh, we're, phones are going to get all the updates. But it's taken a bit longer than that. But they do are they are delivering the updates. So, you know. Yeah, it'll, it'll get there eventually. Yeah. And in the meantime, you know, Android 9 Pi, no, it's not ideal, especially in 2020. But uh, it, it's, it's certainly not the worst situation. It's the same as the 710 isn't ideal. It's the same as that 16 megapixel OnePlus 6 camera sensor isn't ideal. But at the same time... You know, the whole thing works together pretty well. And, you know, the battery life is going to be the big question mark for me. I think that it really depends how much you use the external display. Um, it does have, uh, I think it's, I'm reading different numbers on this, but I think it's up to 18 watt fast charging on the connector. But I think the in the box is only a 15 watt charger. But I'm pretty sure that Moto Turbo Power supports up to 18 watt. I think that's um, right, yeah. No wireless charging. No wireless charging, no headphone jack, of course. There's, uh, however, some earbuds in the box, I think. Yeah, and you actually get a really cool uh, retail packaging. Box? Yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, sure. I mean, I, I, I didn't get to spend much time with it at the event, but it, it, um, it's this, what's the, I mean, I guess it's sort of like a, like a rounded out triangle, right? It's, it's just this crazy design. Yeah, I think the box opens up and the phone is mounted inside of it kind of diagonally and presented to like, you know, basically as if you had like a wireless uh, wireless charging stand that your phone was resting on. That's basically what it looks like when you first open the the box. It's presented you that way. But the cool feature about this quote-unquote box is that they kind of hope you're not going to throw it out and keep it because when the phone is docked onto that box, uh, basically presented to you as if you had it on a wireless charging stand, it uh, has a little uh, bit of a, you know, echo chamber underneath the phone to amplify a sound. So it, it's, it, it will make a good speakerphone 
support, as it were, you know? Yeah. That's the one thing they talked about. Um, and there's a headphone jack, 3.5 millimeter adapter in the box as well. So you're not completely SOL. But yeah, nothing fancy here. The fingerprint reader is right on the chin. And it's just your standard capacitive, you know, done a million times before. Very reliable today. Very fast today. Fingerprint reader. Did you did you um, mess with that at all? Did you like program your finger on? I it? didn't program it to my finger. No. Did you? I did. It's actually it's super super fast. And I don't know if I've just kind of uh, gotten like forgotten what it's like to have a good fingerprint sensor. I think you've forgotten before. Yeah. Um, I think you've forgotten because yeah, but, it's been fast on a number of phones for a while now. Yeah. It is yeah. very, very good though on on the razor. Uh, I don't. I'm, I'm not going to say it's better than any particular phone, but it's. It felt very good. It's very quick. It's it's snappy. Uh, it gives you a little bit of haptic feedback when you you know when it, when it reads your thumb. The haptics are oh cool pretty bad on the razor. Honestly, they're are they're they? not very good. But that was surprising because I mean, so the chin is there for you know of course for like nostalgia, but the chin is also there because of the fingerprint reader, the USB C charging port, the speakers in there, and has apparently a bit of a speaker cavity for sound quality. And then there's probably the vibration motor in that, and of course all the antennas uh, for all the LT bands and all that stuff. So that's you know kind of what what the deal is. So fifteen hundred dollars, Verizon exclusive in the U.S. Pre-orders on December twenty sixth. Ships on January 9th. Now, the rest of the world is getting this phone as well in some markets and many markets, and it's going to be uh, potentially sold unlocked in some markets. I don't know the details. Moto didn't share that with you. But if you want one in the U.S. and you're in the U.S., you're going to have to fork money to Verizon and Verizon only to get it at the tune of $1,500 uh, on December 26th to pre-order to get it on January 9th. But there's another but. And I think this is the key. A lot of people are looking at $1,500 and going like, no way, look at these specs. But Hayato, tell everyone how much this costs a month. So Because Verizon, you know, Verizon does monthly plans and that's how most people buy their phones in the US. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly makes the blow of, you know, something like $1,500 easier. The phone is selling for, I think it was $62 or $63 a month through Verizon. Yeah, um, yeah. It it helps. So that's I still, mean, like that's almost the price of a monthly plan. It's a lot of money, but for a lot of people, sixty dollars is nothing a month. Yeah, especially when you consider that your phone is your main tool. It's the thing that all of us need and want and have. And so I can see some people being at the end of their two year contract going, "Ah, oh, screw it! I had a razor and I love it. I want to go back to that experience. Sixty dollars a month, off we go." You know? Yeah, and I, th- I think I think. More people than we expect are going to do that because there's just such a strong nostalgia pool. And like you said earlier, like nostalgia isn't everything. Not everybody has it. Maybe people that are younger than either of us never used a razor and never used any flip phone, so they don't care. But um, with with the razor, I mean, I've I've been telling people. I went out to lunch with a few of my friends and uh, well, from the industry, but then they they brought some of their personal friends who know nothing about tech. And we told them what we've been up to this week, and they just they couldn't wait to watch our videos and to, to look up this phone because they want to see what the Razor is in, in 2019. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, look, it, it's, I, I was excited. I'm, I'm old and jaded and just don't get too excited about stuff. I, I mean, I love technology. So this delivered, this delivered in, in, in spades. And, and I think it, it's like, this is what I'm most excited about is that, is that you know, this is, People say phones are boring, and you're so wrong to say that because this 
proves that phones are not boring. I mean, this is amazing. So yeah, I think, look, the price, don't balk at the price because ultimately a lot of people are just going to buy the subsidized. And yeah, it's a bummer because some people are going to be like, oh, I want it on AT&T or I want it on Timo. Um, and this is actually an interesting thing. Um, that it does not have a SIM slot. So, you know, I said six gigs of RAM, 120 gigs of storage earlier. It obviously does not have micro SD. Like to be clear, you know, never mind, right? That's pretty standard thing these days. But it doesn't even have a SIM slot because it's purely eSIM. So if you buy this from Verizon, not only do you have to, you know, pay it off to be able to get it unlocked by Verizon, but then you have to find an operator carrier that supports eSIM, which I think most U.S. carriers do, but it's still a long shot for some people, right? Yeah, and I, th I think a lot of that is dependent on the, not even just the carrier, but the specific phone as well. Like, I, I looked at my Pixel 4 earlier today, um, the eSIM setting, and you can, you can use AT&T, Sprint, or Google Fi. But if I'm on T-Mobile, I'm out of luck. If I'm on, you know, any, any kind of prepaid MVNO, I'm out of luck. So um, even though pretty much every U.S. carrier supports eSIM, I, I'm not sure, you know, exactly what the Razer specifically I mean, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I, if you bring this phone after you bought it outright from Verizon to a T-Mobile store, what they're going to do about it. Like they might say, sorry, we don't know what to do, right? And that's the challenge. And I'm actually not a big fan of eSIM. I know how Bader and a bunch of other people are like eSIM, all the things. And I'm like, no, like you do not understand. You lose the ownership of your phone because it's really about software becoming, you know, it's software programmable. So at that point, you're going to say, well, it's really great. It's flexible. It's like nobody needs a physical SIM to be shipped to them. But you lose this ability, like when you're traveling the world, you just slide a SIM in there and you're on the network. That's it. Yeah. Like decoupling your identity on the network from the phone is a huge deal. And eSIM kind of breaks that, even though technically it's virtually, a, basically it's a virtual SIM card. Like it's definitely still a, a SIM card, but it's a SIM card in software. And I get it. I get the that's progress and that's the future, but it removes that, that, you know, standard that we have worldwide right now, which lets you walk into any place in the world. And if you have a phone that supports the bands, for it to just work, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I suspect that a lot of the reason they went with the eSIM only option was probably pressure from Verizon. I'm sure Verizon loves that you can't easily and just reliably use this on any other carrier. Um, it is actually the first phone I know of now. There are lots of smartwatches that are eSIM only, but this, I believe, is the first phone that I've ever covered that is eSIM only. Yeah, Bader was saying the same thing. I, I think that's I think that's true. And so the other thing to keep in mind is that if you look, I'm planning to buy this from Verizon, somehow get it working on another operator, that there are a lot of bands missing for Timo and AT&T. So even though this has a lot of bands, because, you know, it's a world global phone, um, it is optimized for Verizon in terms of which LTE bands it supports and, and, and all that other stuff. So just keep that in mind. It's definitely going to be... I mean, I'm sure it's not going to be an exclusive forever on Verizon because that's the days of exclusive these days are pretty, they generally drop off after three or six months or something, right? So, yeah. I think I we'll did see. hear, though, that the phone is going to be exclusive to Verizon for life, at least in the U.S. Oh, really? That's crazy. That sounds like back in the days of the iPhone or something. It's okay. Moto will do a version two of that phone next year and 
maybe that one will be unlocked or something. Who knows? I, w- I hope they sell another version somewhere else. At least an unlocked version would be nice. I hope they do too. I, I like my first ever, my first ever uh, smartphone was like the iPhone um, 3G. And I, I remember we, we were on Verizon back then and I like, I begged my parents to switch us over to uh, AT&T so we could get it. And um, I, I don't see, I don't see people doing that for the Razer in, in 2020. No, no, it's not going to happen. Um, so yeah, all around, I feel like there's a lot of good vibes about this phone. It's very interesting. It, I went into it being very like, yeah, let's see what this is about. And like, I didn't expect too much, to be honest with you. And I came away like, wow, this is a g- pleasant surprise. This seems like a well-sorted phone that really works. And, and again, these are first impressions. Hopefully there's not some kind of disaster flaw here. That makes you know the folding phone um, take a step back again, but I feel this is the beginning of something good. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I would love to see more uh, more from this uh, form factor, despite all the flaws, because there are some flaws, oh, yeah, especially there, there in terms of stuff. Yeah. I want to switch gears and talk about the new MacBook Pro, the new MacBook Pro 16. Because Apple, while we were all busy covering the Razer, Apple just said, hey, here's a new MacBook Pro 16. It's everything you ever wanted in a MacBook, except for maybe expansion. But <laughs> um, I'm a big fan of USB Type-C and Thunderbolt 3, so I don't care. Um, what's your thoughts? You Have you followed a little bit? Have you played with one? Uh, I mean, I know that uh, I saw one today very briefly in the hands of another journalist. Oh, did you? Uh, yeah. Uh, it's basically a 16-inch version of the 15-inch MacBook Pro, but they did a lot of different, like a lot of changes that are pretty much what people wanted. There's a completely new keyboard design. There is obviously a bigger display and a very similar chassis. Uh, much improved thermals so that it's going to perform better, uh, especially when when you know it's running at full throttle, full thrust. Um, and then it has. Um, Let's see. I think that's pretty much it. Maybe a bigger battery. I think it's almost the maximum that is allowed on a board on an airplane, the size of the battery. Really? It's like just below that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's 100 watt hours. 100 watt hours. Thank you. So yeah, uh, what are your thoughts on this MacBook Pro 16? Have you been following? Have you read up on it? Uh, are you excited because you're obviously a professional video guy and you have now a new tool potentially, right? Yeah, so it's, it's kind of funny. I woke up. Was that this morning or or yesterday morning when they when they announced it? it was yesterday? I think that was yesterday. Yeah. So I I woke up yesterday morning and and uh, I was sharing a room with Bader and he he was up before me. He goes to take a shower. He gets out. I, I'm just barely awake. All he does is pop his head out of the bathroom and just say, "No, you can't have one." <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I've I've read up on it a little bit and. It's so interesting. It's it's such an interesting release because it's so unusual to see Apple um, sort of listen to feedback. Yeah, right? yeah, and and backtrack on on things that you know a couple of years ago they swore this is the next big thing, right? You have the butterfly switches are gone and the escape key is real again, and like all these nice things that would have been really really simple um, to to avoid in the first place. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess they had to try and it clearly didn't work, uh, but I'm, I'm excited. Well, I think that, you know, the pro users are such a bread and butter thing for them. 
I mean, not in the great scheme of things, because they sell way more iPhones and iPads and what and services right now than they sell Macs. Never mind the pro versions of the Macs. Uh, but I still think that, like, at the core, they are like they are really the people who are the longtime fans of the company, right? And those professionals were switching to PCs is the reality. I know so many of my friends who, you know, had decided to learn Premiere and pick up a Razer or some other powerful Windows laptop to do their editing, as their video editors. And some like you and Michael Fisher have stuck with your MacBook Pros and Final Cut. And but there's a lot of bitching around the keyboard or around the thermal performance and the throttling of the processor and around you know, basically not delivering what they want in a pro device. And I think Apple had no choice, you know? Yeah, I mean, the, the amount of trips I've taken with Michael where he gets so frustrated at all these keyboard issues he's been having and he, he swears up and down, you know, if, if the next MacBook isn't, if the next MacBook isn't dramatically better, he's basically saying he's just going to deal with it and switch to Premiere, even though he loves Final Cut as much as I do. And, and just get a Windows laptop instead. Uh, so hopefully that's, hopefully everything is better now and we don't have to do that. But I mean, you know, all, all I can do is hope. I, I, haven't, I haven't used one yet. I mean, I've read up a little bit on it. I, I watched Rene Ritchie's video, which I'll put in the show notes and, and read his article on iMore. And, you know, it's basically the big deal here is they went back to from a butterfly keyboard to a scissor keyboard, which has twice the travel from half a millimeter to a full millimeter, which is not as much as some other keyboards. But basically, they took the keyboard that ships with the iMac, you know, the standalone keyboard they have, uh, which is a great keyboard, and they basically put it in a MacBook Pro um, and gave it a little less travel. But basically, the keys are more have more space between them. There is a better tactile feel to them, more key travel, and generally speaking, the keyboard just feels instantly way better. And then the b other big detail is that the cursor keys at the bottom are inverted T-shaped now, right? So instead of like, you know, the, the original arrangement of the cursor keys was in a row, you have left, down, and right. And then above it, above the, the down, you have the up. Whereas a lot of the modern, like the current MacBook, you know, has got large left and right keys. And then in the middle are the up and down keys. So you can't really tell exactly where you are by feel. So I think the, the inverted T layout for the cursor keys, it's a minor thing, but if you're a developer or somebody like that, it's a big deal. So is the escape key. The escape key is back. It's no longer part of the touch bar. The touch bar is still there, but the escape key is back. And that's got me really excited because I'm an ex-developer. I used to make video games. So I, I was really bummed. I, I never bought a Touch Bar Mac specifically because I want my escape key. <laughs> Sounds crazy, right? No, I mean, I, I use, I mean, I'm a video editor. So I use the, uh, the arrow keys all the time. And I, I have that same issue where without the inverted T, I always... I'll reach for what I think is the left button and, and nothing's happening because I'm actually hitting the you know, up or down and it's, it's correct. I'm, I'm very excited to not have to deal with that anymore. Well, I mean, not, yeah. I'm not getting one anytime soon, but if I ever upgrade, then I won't have to deal with this <laughs> anymore. 
<laughs> yeah, totally. So yeah, I mean, look, I think I'm excited about that. I'm also excited about the screen is a bit bigger, a bit higher resolution, a few more dots per inch. I think 220 to 226 pixels per inch, not really that much more res, but less bezels, bigger screen and a similar chassis. I think the chassis is just slightly bigger, but not by much, almost a millimeter thicker, like 0.7 millimeters, which is nothing. But considering it has this massive battery and much better thermals, uh, because one of the big problems with the MacBook Pro 15, the one that the outgoing one is that, which is no longer sold, by the way, the 16 completely replaces it at the same price point. I think it starts at 2400 and goes up to like whatever the sky's the limit. Um, the 2400 one gives you, uh, I think, a Core 7 6 core with uh, 16 gigs of RAM and a 512 gig SSD. Uh, I'll link to a story by Renee, as I said, that covers that stuff. The, the point is, though, that I think this is this might just bring the Mac back, the MacBook Pro, uh, the, which is the most popular Mac for professionals, back in the good graces of the professionals. Yeah, I mean, it's, and I think that's important. It's it's um, a bit of a situation of where, like, I wonder how much of these, how many of these issues are kind of overblown by people like us who, you know, we we use these in very specific ways, and so we we run into problems that maybe not all general consumers will run into like I, I don't i don't think but it's not a general consumer laptop like you know you buy a macbook air if you're a general consumer sure but I, I feel like i see so many especially at uh at, at college campuses where people maybe don't necessarily know am i going to be you know am i going to just use my laptop for writing papers or am i going to get into learning how to like program or or, or you know edit a video right. or something they go yeah, for yeah. the the higher end laptop just in case so I see a ton of MacBook yeah. Pros out on, on college campuses or at coffee shops or whatever else. And, um, you know, I, I think in, in that way, it is a, a very, like, general consumer kind of computer. Yeah. But, I mean, now I think they fix the biggest problem. The only other gripe that I see people had was the lack of SD card slot, full-size SD card slot. That wasn't going to come back. If you had any delusions, that would. The, the good news is that you still have four USB-C Thunderbolt 3 ports, and you still have a headphone jack. They didn't get rid of that. And so, uh, same camera for the webcam as before. Uh, but apparently the thermals are 30% more efficient. So I think that's what would be the big thing. The thing's not going to heat up as much. Uh, the fans are not going to kick in as soon. And more importantly, when you go full blast, like rendering video or whatever, you're not going to see performance problems that we literally, absolutely, if you watch videos by Dave Lee, Dave 2D, it, like he explains in great detail how how completely thermally deficient the 15-inch MacBook Pro is, right? So this is a this is a big deal. Those two things, I think, the keyboard and the thermals. It's just nice that we get a nicer screen too. On top of that, a bigger res, higher size screen, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like they're really just nothing seems like crazy new or groundbreaking with the new MacBook Pro, uh, which is maybe why they didn't no. give it like a ceremonious, like huge launch event. I mean, it's it's even a ninth gen Intel chip. So it's the same chip as before, just with better thermals, right? Right. But that's, I think that's for, at least for now, that's all they really needed. Like you yeah. don't, you don't need to reinvent the MacBook. Just, just make it work the way it's supposed to. And that's really all I can ask for. Totally. And I think the other big news here is that, you know, the price hasn't changed and this keyboard is bound to find its way to the MacBook Air eventually um, when it gets a refresh in a year or so, hopefully. 
Um, and then we'll, you know, then everybody will be happy again. I'd actually want to see a new MacBook, the 12 inch, the small ultralight, ultra thin, because that's what I have for my on the go work, mostly because I don't edit video on 4k and I can do 1080p just fine on that thing. Um, people are surprised when I tell them I can do it. It's actually surprisingly good at rendering video. It doesn't, you know, it gets a little warm, but for an, a Mac that doesn't have a fan, it actually does okay. Uh, but 4K, forget it. <laughs> it's just not going to work. Um, but I want another MacBook 12-inch or something in that form factor, but with a better keyboard and more, you know, better guts. I want actually an ARM version of that. I want something that un runs an ARM chip. Um, and that's kind of my my holy grail. And once Apple delivers that, I think I'm going to go to that for my mobile computing. I think that would be great from a battery standpoint uh, and, and from... You know, the idea that you could use maybe an LTE chip on, on a MacBook. Yeah, but, um, exactly. But you would, you would run into the same issue as with the Surface Pro X, where, you know, they, they would then have to kind of remake all these apps. But, but that's, that's not an issue, Hayato, because Apple's done that transition twice successfully now. They've gone from the 68K processor to the PowerPC, from the PowerPC to the Intel chip, without a complete seamless transition because they support emulation for a little while, they really get the developers on board, and people switch over really quickly. So I don't really think it's going to be a problem at all. Plus, remember, a lot of people used to use the Macs with Apple's built-in apps. All they have to do is recompile all these apps as ARM apps. It's not like they're depending on another ecosystem of apps to do that, right? Like, there's no, you know, Adobe can take their sweet time, Microsoft can take their sweet time. Very few people, you know, use uh, Microsoft products on their Mac and Adobe. Well, you know, if the creators want the, the laptop, then they're going to make it happen. That's exactly what happened when they switched from PowerPC to Intel. So I think if anyone can pull it off, and I think the reason Microsoft has such a hard time pull it off with the always connected PC, the AC PC and the whole Qualcomm arm based PC world is because, you know, there's just no traction on the developer side and the user side. Apple just makes that stuff seamless. I'm not worried about that transition at all if it happens. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it would definitely be interesting to have uh, an ACPC version of the MacBook. I would I would love that. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm waiting for. But in the meantime, if you're looking for a Mac, like a Pro right now, and you're looking for a portable Mac, there's never been a better time to buy a MacBook Pro. This is it. This is your this is your gift from Apple to satisfy all the issues and all the flaws and all the pain you've suffered for the last two, three years, potentially, possibly because of uh, Jonathan Ives' uh, overzealous um, focus on design, uh, basically a form of a function, which I feel is kind of what happened with these Macs, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think that's definitely true. You know, the, I actually, I really like the butterfly switches on my, on my current MacBook when they work. Obviously, they're, they're full of issues and I have, a lot of keys on this computer that don't function. Yeah, I don't mind the tactility of them. I just mind the fact that they break, you know? Yeah. And that's, I think, the biggest issue for some people. Yeah, and that, that was obviously an issue of just making the thing too thin. and That also leads to, you know, too short of battery life. And I'm, I'm, very, I'm very interested in seeing how the MacBook, how the new MacBook holds up as far as battery goes. Totally. So moving away from the MacBook into the final topic, and you brought this up earlier by mentioning the Sony IMX586 48 megapixel sensor. That sensor is on a lot of phones in 2019 because it is a great sensor. It outputs 12 megapixels, but it's a 48 megapixel sensor. It groups four pixels together into one super pixel, as it were, using a quad bio filter and a pixel binning technique. It's very effective because the end, the end result is a 0.8 micron pixels, four of them. You get a 1.6 micron pixel 
useful in terms of uh, gathering a lot of light for low light performance. Anyway, it's on everything and various implementations of it are from decent to really good. Um, and it's an important sensor in the world of smartphones. Well, the news is this week that there's the IMX 686, potentially the successor to the 586 from Sony. Now, the thing is Sony teased it, but didn't tell us the resolution or anything. We have no idea what the specs on this sensor is. And again, here we're getting super nerdy because really this is gonna only matter to, you know, it being put in a phone and implemented properly to be significant. But it'll be interesting to see where Sony takes this next sensor and, you know, there's 64 megapixel and 108 megapixel sensors out there from Samsung. The 108 megapixel one was announced last week alongside the uh, Xiaomi Mi CC9 Pro, which is also known as the Xiaomi Mi Note 10. And those two phones are identical. Uh, they have a, f a sensor that's 108 megapixel and down samples to 27. And it's, it was custom designed with Xiaomi, for Xiaomi, I should say, by Samsung. So... I'm curious to see what Sony's gonna to bring to the table. What are your thoughts on that, real quick? So, I mean, having a 60 megapixel sensor versus the, the 586 is what, a, a 48 megapixel, yeah? Correct, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really not somebody who thinks that megapixel count is... is no, neither am I. I mean, we all know it better, right? I mean, yeah, but, you know, from the, from the teaser video that we've seen, it's, the dynamic range is super, super impressive. And, and just the sample footage they've given us. And I'm sure, you know, usually with, with uh, teaser videos, they always kind of give you the ideal situation so it looks as good as it possibly can. Um, yeah. But from what I can tell, it's got fantastic dynamic range. Uh, the, it, it looks like it's very sharp, um, especially given, you know, we're, we're dealing with phone sensors here. It's not going to be as sharp as, say, like my, my Sony um, dedicated, like, full-frame camera. But, for you know... 60 megapixels is a lot of information to work with. So with, especially once you're, once you're downsampling, there's so much information in, in this photo uh, or, or even in, in, in videos, I'm sure. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm very excited to see what, you know, what phones might have this. Yeah, I mean, honestly, we've seen samples of the 108 megapixel sensor from that on that Xiaomi phone. Yeah, and they look uh, they that look was made great. by Samsung, and it looks amazing. Yeah. So I think, I think I'm I'm bring it on Sony because this is an interesting war, and this is not a war of megapixels per se. It's more a war of what can we bring to the computational photography world in terms of hardware, like in terms of sensors and lenses and, and physical camera hardware that will make computational photography work better, right? And that's really what this pixel binning is all about. I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing instead of four to one pixel binning, we start seeing nine to one pixel binning next. That's going to be another interesting uh, thing that could happen. And then, you know, we divide by, uh, instead of dividing by four, you divide by nine. So yeah. We'll see what happens. And I think it's important to keep in mind that, like, no megapixels aren't everything, um, but it's it's also not like they don't matter, right? Like, megapixels no, of course. can definitely be helpful because more information is just more to work with. Like, that's that's never a bad yeah. thing. So, and that's what I'm saying in terms of computational photography. If you can throw more data at the problem and crunch through it fast enough with the ISP, you can get some good you know, good results out of yeah, that, right? Absolutely. Uh, but if you throw less data with the same algorithms, you're still going to, you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? So, uh, of course, then the pixel sizes get really small and then you get noise and issues like that. So, 
it's a it's a compromise and it's it's a it's something that needs to be you know kind of like balanced and i'm really i'm gonna really curious to see what sony will bring so stay tuned there's gonna be more crazy megapixel camera news and computational photography news very soon from sony and others i'm sure right yeah yeah i mean i think um i think this is also kind of why google opted for just a 12.2 megapixel camera on the pixel 4 because when when you do have that much information to work with um I mean, well, one, it's, it's just a lot more information for quick computational photography, but it's also like, because like you said, the pixels end up smaller, they don't seem to perform as well in low light. Like the, the Xiaomi phone exactly. with, with the 108 megapixel camera, the photos in daylight are fantastic. And, you know, you can zoom in a ridiculous amount without losing any, any, you know, without losing much data, but at low light, it really like at night, it just completely fell apart. The photos from that Xiaomi phone were not good, and there was this no. there was this green cast over everything um, because it had more green pixels in the sensor, so it just cast yeah. onto onto everything. It was this nasty color over all of, all of the low light shots. Well, I mean, you know, again, they're gonna probably ho- hopefully tweak the algorithms because uh, you know this it's software. So I mean, we'll see what happens. I know that ultimately. Um, you know, computational photography is going to continue evolving, and it's definitely going to bring more and more goodness to our phones. So I'm, I'm just excited. I'm like, bring it on at this point. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so anyway, do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet? Yeah. So uh, on Twitter, at least, is where I'm most active. You can find me there at Hayato Husman, H-A-Y-A-T-O-H-U-S-E-M-A-N. Um, if you want to see my professional work, that's all over at AndroidCentral.com or my, my video work that I'm uh, actually pretty proud of lately for once is, uh, is over at Android Central's YouTube channel. Yeah, I mean, really good video work. So you, you. you should all check it out. And definitely follow Hayato on Twitter and uh, keep an eye out on those uh, great videos uh, over at Android Central. Um, you folks probably know by now where to find me on the internet, but if you don't, I'm at Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L on Twitter and Instagram. That is like the comic book character Tankerl without the vowels. So yeah, follow me there. If you want to discuss this podcast, it's best to do it on Twitter. Um, Instagram is about photos of phones and photos taken with phones. So it's really, uh, you know, kind of a showcase of of pre-things. Um, there's also a YouTube channel that goes with this podcast, uh, youtube.com slash Miriam Joar, my full name spelt out. If you know how to spell my name, you can find the channel. Uh, you can search that on YouTube. Also, the name, my name is in my Twitter account. So just if you don't know how to spell it, just go there. So youtube.com slash Miriam Joar. There is hands-on videos, unboxing videos, reviews, basically complimentary content to this podcast, stuff that shows you visually the stuff we talk about in the show. So check that out. Uh, if you stumbled upon this podcast completely by accident randomly and you're like, whoa, this is cool. I like it. Uh, the URL is mobiletechpodcast.com. Uh, we're also on all the major platforms like Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Overcast, Spotify. You can subscribe on anything. If you're old school and you want the RSS feed, that's at the uh, main page at mobiletechpodcast.com. So there you go. You have no excuse not to subscribe. Just like the YouTube channel, you know, share that with your friends. Tell them 
them about the channel, tell them about the podcast, subscribe to everything, like the videos, like the podcast. Please rate the podcast on the various platforms. Tell people how much you like it. Review the podcast. That really, really helps us. And us being me, really. So the other thing I wanted to say is I'm also doing another podcast right now with my friend Murray Newlands. It's a kind of a short collaboration we're doing. Uh, he's got an ongoing podcast called How to CEO. And in How to CEO, he basically discusses how to be a CEO, how to be an entrepreneur and do a good job at that. So he and I got together and decided, hey, how can we do this better? Uh, although I haven't been a CEO myself, unless you count me being CEO of my own uh, freelance slash consulting work. Uh, I have been a C-level exec when I was at Pebble. So I've worked with a lot of CEOs. I've been in Silicon Valley for a number of years. So I have some experience in that. And so um, Mary says, come on the show. Let's talk about stuff. And you're going to say, well, what does that have to do with phones? Well, hang tight. This is why I'm telling you. Number one, we talk about a lot of things that are cultural and political that affects phones. Like we talked about the Huawei ban. We talked about Facebook and privacy. You know, talking about Elon Musk and Tesla and stuff that I think is going to be of interest to this audience. So uh, you should check it out for that reason. The other reason is an incentive for you to check it out. We're giving away some AirPods Pro. So if you want a pair of AirPods Pro, you should really check out my new collaboration, as it were, with Emory Lunulands at How to CEO. So uh, we're on various platforms, but the best way to get to it is through this URL, which I'll put in the show notes, just like I'll put the URL for the show in the show notes. Uh, it's uh, murraynewlands.com slash CEO. That's M-U-R-R-A-Y. N-E-W-L-A-N-D-S dot com slash CEO. And that's how you can get to the, the giveaway. So if you're looking for that iPods Pro giveaway, go to that URL and there's instructions how to get signed up for that. And before we go, I want to thank our sponsor, uh, Audible. Audible.com is where it's at for audiobooks. If you like audiobooks, if you like reading, if you like books, Maybe you can't read them. Maybe you're driving a delivery vehicle all day and you're stuck and you need to listen to books. Well, guess what? Audible's got you covered. They're the best for that. So I love their selection. They have a great number of books, especially books read by the authors, which I really like. It's really great to hear the actual author read their book. If you want to support the podcast, we actually have a special deal that's been going on for a while now, a 30-day free trial where you can keep the books at the end. And the nice thing about it is that it supports the show. It's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech, the URL. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. If you forget, it's down in the show notes below. So if you want to support the podcast, click on that URL, sign up for Audible if you're not already a customer, and you can leave after 30 days and keep the books, but at least you'll support the show. Uh, check it out. It's a really great platform. I love it. When I travel a lot, Audible's get me covered for audiobooks. So that's it, folks. Uh, thanks, Hayato, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, uh, we'll have you again sometime, probably in a slightly quieter spot. Yeah, but hopefully. look, I appreciate it. It's been a bit of a crazy punk rock week for us. We've been all super busy. So I'm glad we we're able to make it work today. And, you know, pretty exciting stuff going on. So if you want more exciting stuff, stay tuned for next week's show, folks. We'll have obviously another show then. And until then, cheers, everybody. Bye. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.